following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
beautiful to me. Your face is all I seek. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. America is going to burn. It will be utterly destroyed, but not yet. There are some things that have to happen. America has not finished filling its cup of iniquity. It is well on its way. And what we see happening in this nation now is so shocking. It is so shocking that it's that it's taken my breath away. I never thought I would see in America a eugenics program. I never thought I would see in America what my eyes see now. I have no fear that America will burn immediately, for there are some things that must happen in America that have not yet taken place. We'll talk about that today. I want to take you to Matthew, the 24th chapter. Some of you have become very angry with me because I have said the American church is apostate. The American church has departed from the faith of Jesus Christ. Some of you have been infuriated by that and have said, Oh, no, Pastor, we're doing wonderfully. Look, we're gaining the victory over abortion. And yes, abortion has been a major issue. And it looks like it's tilting in favor of those precious unborn babies. The womb should be the safest place in the world, but it has recently in the modern world been the least safe place in the world as millions of babies have been murdered in America, in China, and in other lands. God will judge on behalf of those babies. I pray abortion is totally thrown out in America. There is no place for it. 
But I want to look at Matthew 24, and then I want to share with you why I have said that the American church is apostate. Jesus and the disciples are leaving the temple. They're walking together. They're talking. And one of them says to Jesus, I tell you, he said, do you see these things? How beautiful these buildings are. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Well, the disciples came to Jesus privately, as they often did. And they asked him three questions. One, when will this happen? Two, what will be the sign of your coming? And three, what will be the sign of the end of the age? Now, Jesus answers these questions in Matthew 24, and it seems a bit mixed up, and it's hard to sort out exactly which he's speaking about. But but hear what Jesus says. The first thing out of his mouth in verse 4, in response to this question, Jesus answers, watch out that no one deceives you. The first issue on Jesus' heart is the issue of deception. If you look back at Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, the great issue on Jesus' heart as he closes out this sermon is that the disciples, even those who say they are Christians, walk in deception. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes in various places, and all of these are the beginning of the birth pangs. What you see happening in the world today with the weather what you see happening with volcanic activity, with earthquakes, with pestilence, all of these are just the birth pangs. Then he says, you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Again, false preachers will appear and deceive many people. He's speaking about the church. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, that is, in the church, will grow cold. That's what's happened. That's why I say the church is apostate. But he 
who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. To me, that's a promise of end-time revival. Then he goes on and speaks about when Jerusalem will be destroyed. But then he says in verse 21, For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. We have had times of incredible distress in the world, but never like the trouble that's coming. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. That's not an encouragement to those of you who believe in a secret rapture. Evidently, Jesus believed that there would be a time of great distress and great trouble such as never been on the earth before, and that Christians would walk through that. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs, false messiahs, false prophets, false preachers, will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive the elect if that were possible. Please, I want you to get the picture. There is a decision on the part of the devil that he will do everything in his power to deceive God's people, to destroy God's people. And the scriptures indicate that he will be very successful in this attempt. And then there is... A passage of scripture over here. Let me turn to it in Thessalonians. I'm going to begin in chapter 2, verse 7. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. In other words, there is a block that heaven has put before the devil that prevents him from going full-scale deceiving. It says, And then the lawless one will be revealed, that is the Antichrist, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Now, they're perishing, but they're also God's people. Why? because they have allowed themselves to be deceived. And then Paul tells us why they have been deceived. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. 
Jesus is the truth. He said, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. In other words, this great deception is going to have something directly to do with Jesus, with the truth. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. This is a lie about Jesus. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. So he is describing here God's people who delight in wickedness, in worldliness, who have rejected the truth. They've rejected Jesus. They've not rejected the Jesus of the culture. They've rejected the Jesus of Scripture. And so, they've been totally deceived. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work or the work of making you holy by the Holy Spirit and through belief in Jesus or the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm. Hold to the teaching we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. So he's saying, God's people, people who say they're Christians, are going to be lost. They're going to perish because they have loved wickedness and not the truth. Now, this brings me to, again, some portions of Scripture. I have to just keep going back and praying through and crying out before the Lord. John, the 15th chapter, is one of those places. Let me read this for you. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Wait a minute. He cuts off. He cuts off from Jesus. They're still religious. They still go to church. But they're cut off from Jesus by the Father because they're not bearing the fruit of holiness, of sanctification. They're not bearing the fruit of working for the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be added to you. Well, they're interested in all of these other things. They're not interested in seeking innocence in Jesus. They're not interested in seeking the kingdom of heaven. They want their own kingdom. They call themselves Christians, but they're apostate. Do you see? But let me make it even more plain for you. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So God wants us to bear much fruit to show ourselves to be disciples 
And then in verse 4, he says these shocking words. Abide in me, or in the New International Version, remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. He's speaking about the apostate church. He's speaking about the church that has no longer its abiding place in Jesus. It's no longer in Jesus. It's in religion. It's in denominationalism. It's in a profession of faith. But it's not in Jesus. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Then again in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, in other words, if Not if you claim I have the righteousness of Jesus covering me, but I live my own life. You're deceived. He's saying, if you love me, you will obey my commands. You will remain in me and in my love. If you obey my commands... If you obey my commands. Well, this morning as I was praying about this broadcast, the Lord brought back to me a clear understanding of an issue that is very much associated with Babylon burning and with the church, and particularly with the apostate church of America. I want to make some statements, and then I want to talk about those statements. These are things I've written down, that I've made notes on. Eternal life does not exist in us as an independent possession. Life is only in Jesus. Eternal life consists in union with God. It is participation in the divine nature. We can we can have eternal life as his gift Romans 6:23 but the gift is not separate from Jesus. 
eternal life is Jesus reproducing himself in us. Now, what am I saying? I want you to be very clear. How shall I say this? Some years back, I was in an automobile accident and my car rolled and was totally destroyed. I climbed out of the car unhurt. I had been forced off the highway, hit a culvert, and rolled. When the police came, they looked at the car and they said, We don't know how you survived this, Pastor. It was Jesus. And then for some time, I was without a car. And life was very, very difficult, but I simply would not go and buy a car. The Lord said, wait upon me. And so I waited. And some month or so after that, I received a phone call from my oldest daughter, April. And she said, Dad, we know you need a car, and we have one in our family that we no longer need. It's a 2009 Hyundai Sonata. It has high mileage, but we believe everything is running very well on it, and you could use it as long as you'd like. I said, thank you. Yes. How much do you want for it? And April said, no, Dad, we're giving it to you. It's probably worth only about $3,000. We want to give you this gift because we love you. Well, my heart was ecstatic. They gave me their car. And I've now put many, many miles, almost 200,000 miles on that car. I think when I received it, it had 160, 165,000 miles. And I've had no mechanical difficulties. Everything has, has been wonderful with this automobile. But now I want to make my point. I own that car. I just renewed the tags for two more years on it. The car's in my name. I own it. It's a gift to me. And I'm very grateful for that gift. Well, let's take that now to the gift of salvation. We have received, if we are Christ followers, the gift of salvation. But do I own my salvation in the same way as I own the automobile that was given to me? And the answer is very clear. No, absolutely no. Well, why not? If it's a gift, then it should belong to me. Yes, 
It does belong to me. I have the gift of salvation, and it belongs to me, but I do not own that gift of salvation outside of Jesus Christ. The gift of salvation that has been given to me is given to me only so long as I am in Jesus. Not when I'm in theological understanding. Not when I'm in religion. Not when I'm in the church. The gift does not belong to me when I claim whatever I claim about my rights with God. Some of you say, oh, I'm good to go because Jesus' blood covers me, but I still walk in sin. Oh. In other words, you're not in Jesus because you can't be in Jesus and in sin. You can't be in Washington, D.C. and in New York City at the same time. You're in one city or the other. So John, the 14th chapter, indicates that I am to remain in Jesus. The modern American church has remained in its religion. It has remained calling itself Christian. But it has not remained in Jesus. It walks in disobedience to the commands of Jesus. The church is filled with divorce and recrimination and ambition and all kinds of unclean things. And we have not, as a church, remained in Jesus. An eternal life does not exist in us as an independent possession. We cannot say, okay, I have the gift of salvation. Now I'm free to go live my life according to certain rules and regulations. That's legalism. Life is only found in Jesus. Eternal life consists in union with Jesus Christ. It is a participation in the divine nature. If I am no longer participating in the divine nature, I am not in Jesus. If I walk in sin, I am no longer in Jesus. I'm in my sin. I'm in my rebellion. I'm in my life. I'm in my lifestyle. And so the American church, according to the research that I've seen, in very accurate polling, is that the American church has the same basic values as the American population. We go to the same television shows. I mean, Christians going to werewolf shows, Christians going to every kind of violent action, 
Christians going to every kind of unclean thing, calling themselves Christians. They're apostate. They're not walking in Jesus. They're walking in the lust of their flesh. They're walking in the, in the lust of their own desire. They're not walking in Jesus. And so the American church spends its money the same as the world spends its money. They go on the same vacations as the world goes on vacation. They have the same goals and objectives. They have the same ambitions. They spend their money the same way. They don't seek first the kingdom of God. They seek first the kingdom of America. This is why I say the church in America is apostate. Jesus cannot repent for you. He cannot believe for you. He cannot submit for you. So, I really have to ask you the question, do you believe that Jesus is real? And do you believe that you have treated him as you ought to have treated him? Or have you been an apostate? Now, if we go over here to Revelation, we find that there is, in the 17th chapter, a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls, and she had a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. And this title was written on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. This is why I say Babylon will not burn yet. I believe America is Babylon. There are many reasons for that, and perhaps we'll touch on a few of those. But one thing is clear. We are headed toward a time when this Babylonian woman will cause the saints to lose their lives. And she will be drunk on the blood of the Christians. When that takes place, then you will see America burn. Now, if you look at chapter 18, a great angel came down from heaven with great authority. The whole earth is illuminated by his splendor. And with a mighty voice he shouts, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. 
She has become a home for demons, a haunt of every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. All of that is true and is being fulfilled today. And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. The American church either must come out of Babylon. It is a system as well as a place. It is a culture. And Christians must rise up and come out of that culture and make the kingdom of God their entire focus with time, money, energy, The kingdom of God must be the place where we put our value in Jesus Christ, where we remain in Jesus. He said, seek first my kingdom. And the kingdom is not a geographic area. It is the recognition of his right of rule. It is a recognition that I am under his authority. So what I'm saying is, It's time Christians must come out of the authority of Babylon and come under the authority of Jesus Christ and walk in humble obedience to him, remaining in him with the primary focus on the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his innocence. We must seek that innocence. And it means we have to come out with deliberate actions on our part. You see, if you believe that you possess the gift of salvation, if you believe that you possess that as an, as an object, as an independent possession, like I own my car, then you will be utterly deceived and you will walk in the culture of Babylon. You'll be in love with the entertainment of the day. You'll be in love with the ambitions of America to get rich. You will be in love with the casual lifestyle of luxury. You will be in love with All that is American. And the Lord is saying, you must come out. You must come out. Well, if you come out of Babylon, where do you go? Into Jesus. You go into Jesus. And Jesus becomes for you the object of every love, of every idea, of every longing. 
He becomes so beautiful to you. He draws your heart. He heals your wounds. Some of us in our lives, probably every one of us who has lived 60, 70, 80 years, we have suffered grievous wounds of disappointment, of betrayal. We have suffered great disappointments in the death of loved ones, children, wives, husbands. We have, in all honesty, we have been wounded. And the healing comes only in Jesus Christ. Now someone has asked the question, what about receiving Social Security, Pastor? As a retired person, is that being part of Babylon? No. No. That was insurance. You paid in. You received the insurance. But you do what Jesus directs you. You see, my heart and my focus is not on my livelihood. I'm one who has not taken a salary for more than 30 years. I pray and Jesus answers my prayer and he will move in the heart of someone to give or he will arrange in whatever way he chooses to care for me. But my primary concern is my care for this radio broadcast and my care for the church, my care for you, the care for the poor. So, Jesus said we were to be in the world, but not of the world. So, in John 17, what did Jesus mean? He means you're in the world physically, and you must live in the world, and so we work. We take salaries. We receive insurance. As Jesus orders and directs. But our focus is on the kingdom of God and on his righteousness. The focus of our heart is to come out of Babylon to identify ways that that culture has infiltrated our hearts and our spirits to leave behind everything of that darkness. Now, let me be very straight with you. If you remain in Jesus, can you continue to do the things you're doing? If you have no separate, independent life where you possess 
eternal life. Are you free to continue living like the world? Yes. But it's not an independent gift. It's a gift that is only found in Jesus Christ. Remaining, abiding in Jesus Christ. So anything that I do that is not remaining in Jesus is of sin. Anything that I do that is not remaining in Jesus is Babylonian. Babylon stands for the independence of my life and my being able to make the decisions that I want to make to take care of myself from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If Jesus is not the central focus of my heart in everywhere I go and in everything I do, walking according to his word and not walking in any known sin, but walking clean by what I do, then I am not in Jesus Christ. And if I'm not in Jesus, he said in John 15 that the Father will come and cut me off. Separate me totally, completely from Jesus Christ. So I do not possess salvation as an independent gift, separate from Jesus. Eternal life is union with God. It is participation in the divine nature. Eternal life is a gift, but the gift is not in any way separate from Jesus Christ. If you have the idea that you have your gift of eternal life and now you just go out and do the best you can do, and you're never going to stop sinning because you're always going to be a sinner, then you are not in Jesus Christ. You are in the world. You're in religion. You've been deceived. This is what Jesus warned about. Pastors, prophets who would come with a deceiving gospel that is not the gospel of Scripture. Eternal life is Jesus Christ reproducing himself in me, in my life. Eternal life cannot be separated from what Jesus is doing in you. And if you have a separate life outside of Jesus, and you think you just want to come together with Jesus for worship, or you want to come to Jesus with praise, you just want to come to Jesus when you feel like you'd like to, you are Deceived. You are separate from Jesus. And you will be, at some point, if you have not been already, totally cut off by the Father. 
And then you will slowly dry up. Your interest in God will dry up. Your interest in Jesus will dry up. Your commitment to the kingdom of God will will grow cold. And the love of most will grow cold at the end of time. And literally in the Greek, it's growing cold by a a gentle, slow blowing to cool you down, to make you cold, to think you have a separate life from Jesus. There is no eternal life separate from Jesus. And Babylon is the kingdom of the power of darkness. And America is the focal point of Babylonian identity. And America will burn because of that will burn to the ground. When will that happen? When America becomes drunk on the blood of the saints. When wide-scale persecution and execution of Christians comes to America, and believe me, it is coming to America. If you question that, you need only to look at what's happened in the last two years, three years. Five minutes. And you will see America is rapidly moving toward what is described in Scripture as the whore, Babylon. Now we're out of time for today's broadcast. Tomorrow is going to be a wonderful day of prayer, of revival of repentance. I invite you to call tomorrow and pray. It is time to pray. So tomorrow will be our regular prayer day. And I am waiting, praying for you that you will have the courage to call and pray that you will set aside all of your other activities and recognize that this is holy time, special time, intercessor time. Now, I'd love to hear from, from you. I went to the post office yesterday, and there was one letter from a precious brother. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You're also welcome to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com nationalprayerchapel.com you will find there the videos of today's broadcast and you'll find those at nationalprayerchapel.com you also can give online we're not quite there we're almost there just a few hundred dollars short yet I thank each one of you Dirk brother you've really stepped in thank you We needed that help. So please, 
You can give online. And now let's pray. Lord, I lift up every person who has listened to this broadcast. I ask Jesus that you deal with their anger. Because many have become angry with me because of this word that I'm speaking. But it's your word. So, Lord, I ask you to deal with their hearts. And I pray, Lord, for revival to come. I ask that your Holy Spirit would come down with holy fire and call your people out of Babylon and establish them in righteousness and holiness, giving them the courage to take a stand for you, Jesus, and to totally leave behind this wicked culture of Babylon. Lord, would you have your way today? I pray also today for those who are sick, who are anguishing in pain. I pray for my precious brother and every other person who is dealing with constant pain in their bodies, constant sickness. Lord, I bind that sickness and that pain in the name of Jesus and say, Be gone, for we are healed by your stripes. We are made well by your stripes and your suffering. So, Lord, I plead today for a binding up of the hearts and wounds of your people. Some are in grief. Lord, I ask that you would bind up that grief and cast out all depression and all fear. Lord, have your way. Bring forth the glorious power and peace and love and joy of your kingdom. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, again, I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I lost my telephone to a malfunction and lost all of my contacts. So if you have tried to call me or contact me, please do so again. And God bless you. I love you. We'll talk soon.